Hey, Andy Jenkins. Uh, thanks for joining me. I'm here actually on my back porch at the house. I got kicked out of the office. So Beth and I share an office and we've got, you know, it seems like we got a lot of rooms in this house, but there are a lot of kids. And I just thought, goodness, we, we've got this great back deck. It was here when we bought the house. We've not done anything to it. In fact, we need to do something to it. The, the, the woods stain is it's kind of flaking and it's, it's where they obviously stained it to upgrade in order to four years ago-ish sell the house. And I never really did anything to it because I thought at some point I'm gonna extend this deck and then I'll replace the rails and make them match kind of the rest of the house and some of the things we've done. Um, but it's this great place and it is, you know, maybe 15 feet, 12 feet above, if you've ever been to our house, above kind of the back porch and the courtyard that leads up to the tiny house. And then the backyard just goes downhill. So I'm like 30, 40, 50 feet above certain places in the backyard. And there's this great expanse where we've cut some trees, have some land, and it is a beautiful day and a great view out here. So uh, I don't know what's going on with you, whether you're running and you got the headphones in, you're driving, you got the radio on, you're on an airplane, and maybe you got the AirPods going, you're doing the laundry and the dishes, cutting the grass, or, or just kind of sitting, chilling. Uh, thanks for hopping on. I want to shift gears today. The previous episodes, I was really talking about this topic of grace, and today I want to shift into a discussion about freedom. Now, on our website, we talk about four primary, I really think they're kind of hangers, or you might call them content buckets, you could call them facets of the framework. Grace is number one, freedom is number two, purpose is number three, empowerment is number four, grace, freedom, purpose, and empowerment. Let me tell you what they mean. Grace is the thing, I believe, that sustains life. It upholds relationships. It fuels business. It fires up everything that goes on in the marketplace and in teaching and in training and in grace. It is this propensity to forgive. It is this inclination to make up for the shortcomings in others uh, as they do the same thing for you. Uh, it is the thing that brings us into the Christian life. And furthermore, it is the thing that gifts, that heals, that empowers all of life. Uh, Paul says, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, by grace you're saved. So you can't boast, you can't brag. It's nothing that you did. It's God's grace that saved you, that redeemed you. And then he continues. It's just this long run-on sentence. He says that same grace that saves you also empowers you because God predestined, that's a great word, predestined these great works that you would walk in. And it is all fueled, fired by grace. You're called, sustained, and then fueled to live life by grace. Now we step into this second one right there, freedom. You know, you think from grace you might just go to, okay, I got grace, what's my purpose? That's number three. What is the thing that God has me on this planet to do? And if you know that, you know, our whole thing is to help you find and fulfill that purpose. However, you know, you gotta start with grace. 
and then you want grace to fuel the purpose. You don't want to live out your purpose in your own human effort, in your own steam. You don't want to live out your purpose in order to shore up an identity of something outside, external, not intrinsic to who God has already called and said you are. Uh, that's where that freedom gap comes in. If, if you're still living out of unprocessed pain, if there are unhealed hurts from days gone before, then at some point it really becomes difficult to walk in your true purpose because the present keeps getting tripped and trapped up by clutter. Some of that clutter is, you know, let's just be real. It's your fault, my fault. Uh, a lot of times our past decisions and the way we responded to things got us to where we are. Sometimes, let's just be honest, you know, you're, you're the victim of certain things. Now, you don't want to live in that victim mentality, but it's just that acknowledgement that the things that you experience in life sometimes aren't necessarily your fault. Other people do things and those things, those actions that they do, they do affect me and you. Uh, they affect our family. They affect our finances. They affect sometimes our health. They, they affect all sorts of things. Now, we, we don't want to become a victim of circumstances and say, okay, I'm stuck here. But just an acknowledgement that the reality is sometimes, goodness, there's stuff we got to heal from that was not our fault. Now we're responsible to pick up life from here and move forward. And whatever the case, that requires that you and I, we process through those pain points. We take responsibility to walk in healing from those hurts. That's where that whole freedom element comes in. Grace, freedom, purpose, and then empowerment. The empowerment resources really show you how to manage life. Uh, not wait until heaven when you die, but to live a life now that's full of schedules and full of the ordinary. And so many times the extraordinary and the supernatural happens amongst what seems to be the mundane of schedules and carpools and jobs and all these other sometimes beautiful and sometimes let's just say what it is sometimes boring uh, things that you and I get to enjoy that we get to do so grace freedom purpose and empowerment now I'll, I'll swing back to grace for the past couple weeks I talked about grace Today, I want to shift in maybe for three or four weeks and talk about the topic of freedom. I, I want to talk about the soul. You know, the, the reality is you and I, we all face hurts in the soul. We all encounter struggles. Uh, we, we, we can run from them. Uh, we, we can run from the pain points we can run from the the people most often a hurt is attached to people right uh, we, we can run from those we can hide those we can repress those we can squish those but what I want to encourage you to do is over the next few episodes as we discuss this is to consider setting some of those things into the light uh, there's a great quote I read 2017, 2018, I was reading this book, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. He quotes another person in his book. Uh, I'm not even sure who he's quoting, uh, but, but he acknowledges them very clearly. The quickest way 
to reach the sun and the light of day is not to run west chasing after it, but to head east into the darkness until you finally reach the sunrise. Now he's discussing right there what St. John of the Cross, he's an author I came in contact with when I was during my seminary days 20 plus years ago, he calls the dark night of the soul. It's not like just this evening, it is this long protracted season of what seems to be soul and even spiritual darkness. Uh, it's a season when you question so many things about what you believed. It is this season when so many doubts come into play. It is this season where relationships may shift. Uh, even if they come back, they may shift during that moment. It is the season where you question God and does God even have a plan? Maybe you've been there. I have. I think to some degree we've all journeyed that. And what he's saying here in this quote is so often what we tend to do is when those dark times come, we tend to say, hey, get out of it, get out of it, get, 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 you know, get away from the hurt, get away from the pain. And he says, wait, hold on. If you're standing on the planet Earth and you seem to always be physically chasing daylight. Think about it. If you're always chasing daylight, you're in the dark and you can't quite get to the light at the end of the tunnel, you try running west, chasing, chasing geographically, physically. What he's saying is, hey, the quickest way to get to the light would be to turn, face the dark, head east, and the sun always rises up and greets you. Kind of reminds me, Old Testament, mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, mercies new every morning. There's a related verse to this in the New Testament. 1 John 1, 7 through 9, it says this. 1 John 1, 7 through 9. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. If we walk in the light, not, not hunker in the darkness and hide. Uh, sometimes we want to hide because of shame. Sometimes we want to hide because we're guilty. Guilt and shame could be related, but you could experience one without the other. Sometimes we feel ashamed of things that we have no guilt for. We, we may feel guilty, but if you've been abused or if you've been the victim of a circumstance, a situation, something that someone else did to you, uh, you may certainly bear no guilt for that but you could still feel shame and want to hide. What John is saying here is if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, so, so we move out of the darkness, uh, we turn and maybe face that darkness instead of still chasing the light. So we're going to deal with the issue, turn into it, uh, own it, start walking towards that, that light instead of kind of chasing one that's constantly shifting away from us. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus' his son cleanses us from all sin.
I, I like this because right here, the Apostle John promises us two things that we all so desperately want if we deal with that pain point, if we deal with that problem area, if we seek to resolve that unhealed hurt. Number one of two things that he promises is we have fellowship with one another. We have true connection. We have real, let's use this word, community, uh, friendship, relationship, companionship, uh, togetherness. I think in our culture, I shot a Facebook, Instagram, social media reel on this. Got a lot of feedback just from people saying, I think that's true. I think that's what we do is we tend to, we, we tend to in our culture, uh, maybe create a false element of community by uh, seemingly over-connecting with the masses of people and over-sharing with the masses of people, but not truly sinking deep into close, tight-knit relationships. Um, what I was saying there is we tend to just get on social media and just say everything. Like we share with complete strangers every nuance of life, every hurt, every pain point, and then we have the false illusion that we've dealt with it because we shared it, you know, to a thousand or two thousand or three thousand or how many friends you've got online. Never mind the fact that only two to five percent of the people will see it what's on your feed anyway. We think that we've gotten it off our chest. And you get enough likes enough hearts, enough reactions, enough uh, oh, attaboys, even though those people aren't really speaking deep into your life, they're just kind of scrolling. And mindlessly, while they're driving, sitting at the traffic light, or while they're, you know, mindlessly scrolling while watching television. So they're multitasking, or while they're scrolling, while they're, they're, they're in the bathroom. And they're responding to what we share. And so we get the sense that, oh, yeah, we've connected with people, and we, we really haven't. We have overshared but we're missing the true depth of connection with the people who really know our story with the people who could carry the weight of that burden with us who could bring correction to us when we need it who can bring soothing and healing um, I like to say it like this regarding that community piece I'm gonna give you four ways to kind of Maybe make a grid in your mind. Think, think of this as a, a series of concentric circles. So you've got one circle in the middle. It's really small. Outside of that, you've got a little bit bigger circle that includes that small circle. Outside of that second circle, you've got an even bigger circle. You know, the two smaller circles are inside. And out of that, you've got a big fourth circle. So four concentric circles just kind of layered inside of each other. Big one a medium one, a small one, and then a, let's just call it a tiny one. In that tiny innermost circle, there should be in your life a few people. A few people who get to know everything. All your flaws, all your hurts, all of your ideas. These are the people that have the ability to carry the load of your burden and also simultaneously correct you. I would even say this, if they cannot correct you, and if you would not take um, a counterpoint from them that truly disagrees with what you 
say, then really they don't have the capacity to carry the burden either. Being able to do one implies that they could choose to do the other. That's a few people. Think about it in the life of Jesus. He had Peter, James, and John. Those three men saw things that the other disciples, the other apostles didn't see. Those three alone saw him on the Mount of Transfiguration. When Moses and Elijah appeared with him, uh, the other disciples, if you recall in Mark chapter 9, were at the bottom of the hill trying to cast a demon unsuccessfully out of a boy uh, who kept being tossed into the fire. Uh, these three, Peter, James, and John, they were the few with Jesus. They are the ones who exclusively with him uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane. He took all of the disciples were there in the upper room when they were sharing that last supper, that Passover feast. He took them all to Gethsemane, but then he took those three deeper into the garden. Uh, seemingly, they are the ones that would have seen him cry out the most. They are the ones who would have realized that he was sweating blood, that he was in that degree of anguish. The few. That is the innermost circle that you and I need to be able to walk into the light with, where there is absolute grace. There is not necessarily agreement, not necessarily applause over the things you've done or the things done to you, but there's certainly no shame. There is this ability to correct, this ability to carry burdens, this ability to lift you, transparency, free, complete disclosure, the few. Now, outside of that, there's another circle. Uh, it's not the few, it's the, I'll, I'll just call it this, some. <laughs> so we're going from few to some. How do you like that for technical terms here? A few people get everything. Some people get most things. Not all things, most things. So you might think in the life of Jesus, there were 12. Uh, the, the 12 certainly got more than the 70. Uh, they got more than the crowds, but th they didn't get as much as the few. They didn't get as much as Peter, James, and John, the three. There was transparency. Um, maybe not as much disclosure so transparency means that uh, you're always completely you you're always completely authentic you don't hide certain things it just means that there's this element of privacy to where all the way in that circle it's there's no privacy everybody gets everything but as you step outside the other layers of the circle there are levels of some privacy some protection from what's going on all the way with you. Um, the third circle, we move from the tiny circle of the few to the second circle of the sum to the many. So we've gone from a few people get everything. Some people get most things. Next layer, many people get some things. So what does that mean? Maybe if you're involved in a church, it's a small group. Uh, maybe it's a Bible study. Maybe it's a recovery group that you're part of. 
maybe it's an online coaching group or something like we've got some online communities we interact with many people get some things now the many people who get the some things like in Jesus's life there were 70 that he presumably empowered with the same supernatural giftedness and calling to heal to cast out demons to preach to prophesy as he did the 12 so you can read that in Luke 9, 10, 11. There's a great sequence of stories right there. However, those 70 didn't see everything that the 12 saw. Those 12 didn't see everything that the 3 saw. We have these layers of relationship there. And, and then beyond that, the reality is you move from the few who get everything out to the some who get most things to the many who get some things to most people on the outer circle get absolutely nothing or they just get the surface oh okay so in our culture here's what I think we tend to do is we tend to absolutely flip it we turn this upside down and so what we have is most people are getting everything you got they get it, but they get it at a very surface level. They hear all the stories, they hear all the things, they hear every point of view, but then you got the people that are closest to you. You got the spouse, the significant other. You got the closest friends that are totally shocked when they come to find out that you're struggling or that you're hurting. And what I'm saying is these are soul freedom related issues. In fact, I don't think that you and I will ever totally be completely healthy, whole, emotionally, until we're walking in close, tight-knit relationships with other people who are also healthy, not perfect. <laughs> none, none, none of us are. Uh, but, but the reality is we're all strong in certain areas, we're all weak in certain areas, and those areas are different. We have blind spots that the other doesn't have. We have uh, these keen insights to see things crystal clear that the other doesn't have. And so often, rather than getting into the mess of that, which is, it is so hard, right? We tend to just align with the many who completely agree with everything that we say and thumb, heart, like, even reshare. So what I would like to talk with you about for the next couple episodes, uh, you know, I don't know how long it'll go. Uh, maybe three more, four more. I'm looking through my notes right here. That's what you hear is how do we at least just start managing some of this? You see, John says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. It's that community. It's that closeness. It's that connection that we all so much want. And, and then notice this. And and, and you, you, you might could also highlight it here and say this. And then, now, now I'm kind of inserting that word. But, but I think it fits because you got that if. If we walk in the light, we have true fellowship with one another. If we're hiding stuff, we really don't have fellowship with one another. We don't know if we're really connecting with each other, if we're connecting with a mask or connecting with a shadow or connecting with some kind of false self or mirage or image. I mean, I've lived through those kind of circumstances. I've, I've done it. And it always leaves you wondering, what if they, they really knew? 
And so many times we shudder because the truth is, if people really did know, some people will set you to the side. But I think that there is a depth of relationship beyond that that we miss when we settle at something else. Sure, some people will set you aside. Some people will totally shock and surprise you by bringing you in closer flaws and all. That's what John is saying here. If we walk in the light, then we have true connection with each other. And then the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Where does that cleansing happen? Well, it happens at the cross 2,000 years ago, but the experience of it happens now when we walk into the awareness of it when others accept us. Tangibly, they put hands and feet and voice and arms wrapped around us and we feel, we sense grace. And in those moments, as they tangibly express the love of your Heavenly Father, cleansing comes. They, in some sense, impart in a real experiential way the grace of heaven. The acceptance of the supernatural, the thing that God has for you, is so often delivered through other people. And now notice, I'm going to keep reading. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Um, now, here, here's what is interesting to me right here is John is not uh, labeling whether we're guilty or not. What he's saying here, I think, my opinion, is that we are all in some way affected by sin. We're affected by things we've done wrong. We're affected by things that were the right things to do that we omitted doing, we did not do, we failed to do. Um, in James, James, Jesus' little brother writes, to the one who knows to do right and does not do it, to him it is sin. We're affected by the wrong things we've done. We're affected by the right things we haven't done. Uh, we're also affected by the things done to us. He's, he's not putting a label on any of that going, hey, you're guilty or not. He's just saying, no, 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 we're all affected. Let's leave it right there. We're all affected and we've been hurt, tainted in some way and we all need cleansing. If you're guilty of it, you need cleansing. If you're not guilty and you were affected by someone else's sin, you need cleansing. And where does the cleansing happen? It happens in the light. I, I appreciate this too because he says, if we say we have no sin, we're, we're not affected. He says, no, 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 we're, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. You've been, I've been affected. There's no shame there. Cleansing, community, connection is all available. No, notice this, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I appreciate this word too, if we confess. Uh, right here, this word confess, so often we take it as a churchy word that means 
to admit that we did something wrong. But notice right here, if you're reading through this text, through this passage, 1 John 1, 7 through 9, he makes no presupposition about that. He doesn't necessarily say, hey, you did something wrong. Uh, he just says to confess the wrong thing that has affected you. Um, to confess is to make a statement, a declaration of belief. So if you, you think back through church history, they have these things called, they're these statements called confessions. A confession is theological utterances, theological propositions of belief. We confess that ancient Judaism from Deuteronomy 6.4, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, was the foundational confession of Judaism. And that confession, it doesn't uh, admit a sin. Sin's not even related to that. It's just a statement of belief, a statement of fact. John's saying if we statement of fact our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and or to cleanse. Whatever you need. If you need forgiveness, it's coming. If you need cleansing, it's coming. If you need forgiveness and cleansing, some combo, it's coming. That's what he's setting here as his confession. As his, another way to say of a confession is it, it, it is a belief, it is a conviction, it is a statement of certainty. And it is, I believe, not, not just a grace issue, it is a soul issue. It is an emotional mindset, relational, we'll start defining this in the next few episodes. It is everything to do, has everything to do with moving through life healthy, whole, and free. Okay, so I'm going to round it out for today. That's it. I'll start right here in my notes in the next episode. Here's what I would love for you to do. If you look down in the show notes, I have two things for you. Uh, number one is just this post-traumatic stress self-check. It's a 10-question yes-no answer. You fill it out. You go through. It takes you two minutes, and you can just say, hey, do, do I have uh, just this level of emotional stuff that I need to work through? You know, and you do or you don't. Uh, so you just kind of walk through that and check yourself periodically. And I would encourage you to take that. Uh, and that will unlock a description of the contents of what those 10 questions mean. Again, 10 question self-check post-traumatic stress questionnaire. Takes you about two minutes to do. Uh, the other thing that I would invite you to take on is there is this best of soul wholeness audio. It is seven of the lessons that I pulled together from my longer soul wholeness book and audio book combination. Now in those seven lessons, I'm gonna talk about the importance of emotional health, and then I'm gonna walk through, uh, and, and I've just set it up as an audio course, so you can get it, you can access it just like an audio book, listen while you're driving, running, exercising, sleeping, uh, don't do it while you're sleeping, maybe while you're drifting off to sleep, getting up, anything you're doing at the beach, it's gonna talk through the three common soul wounds that so many of us face, and, and then it'll give you a follow-up lesson after each one of those lessons of, okay, 
how do we deal with it? How do we heal? How do we heal and deal? All the links for that are below. I will see you in the next episode. Here's my prayer for you is that the Lord will bless you. He will keep you. He'll be gracious to you. Shine his face of healing favor on you. May you, if you are in that dark season and you sense that you're under a cloud, may you take heart that neither height nor depth nor angels nor principalities nor any other created thing can first of all separate you from the love of God. That, as Romans 8 says, he's there. That, as Psalms 139 says, that David says, if I went to the highest height in heaven, you'd be there. If I went to the depths of Sheol, you'd be there too. So may you sense that he's near and may you have the courage, the fortitude to turn, to face the dark and instead of chasing daylight, to know that the quickest way into the light is to walk straight through that dark with people to whom you're connected and seeking out that cleansing. Grace, peace, I'll see you again soon.